Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. There it is. The dogs are running. The deer are, are trampling through the woods. I'm excited. What's going on, Casey? Well, tell you what, I've got my coffee. I hope you have yours. I hope you're ready to get after it today and learn something and get excited because my guest is absolutely amazing. She is an inspirational leader, a marketing leader, and a thought leader. She has a real passion for brand. She has a real passion for performance. She's worked with brands like Disney and Toro and GE. Holy moly, Sonic. I, I, I see Sonic commercials everywhere, and, but there's just no Sonic to be found right now. So Sonic, if you hear this, bring it on up. Bring it up to New Hampshire. But man, all these amazing brands, what can we possibly learn from her? A lot. That's the answer. Founder and CEO of The Grow CMO, Brooke Genesek. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Man, you are busy. How do you even have time to be here right now? Oh my gosh. Well, I specifically carve out time on Thursdays for podcast recordings. So I'm, I'm yeah, I'm doing better at setting boundaries. So <laughs> ask, we could talk about that later, but yes, okay, I'm doing noted. Better at that. Yeah, I need help with that one. So I'm going to put boundaries down here in the, in the notes. Yeah. So, hey, it is a Thursday for those listening and it's a Monday. Pretend like it's a Thursday for about an hour because we're going to have fun today. And you know what? I want to pass you this thing. It's heavy. I know you work out. Here you go. Okay. Thor's hammer. Go ahead and grab that. Yes. Okay. I got it. You got it. Oh, wow. One-handed grab of Thor's hammer. Ladies and gentlemen, very impressive strength here. So, Brooke, take Thor's hammer for me and, and smash some kind of marketing myth, a bogus strategy, a misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. All right. I'm ready for this. The myth that I want to bust is that brand and performance marketing are mutually exclusive. I do not believe that to be the case at all. Well, so I'll back it up just a little bit and I can give lots of examples, but I do want to say they both have distinct goals. They both have distinct KPIs, but a very successful marketing strategy incorporates both. And there has been a lot of chatter lately about this dichotomy between the two. And some corporations even separate those. Like if you look at their marketing function, they'll have brand marketing um, as a department and then their performance marketing as another department, which causes a lot of tension when it comes time for budgeting, let's say. So now they're both vying for the same a piece of the budget. Um, and they're also vying for some attention. And I just, I really don't think those two should be pitted against each other. Where does this come from? Where, where does this originate? Why are we having these groups fight and, and compete for budgets and attention? And where does this come from? Yeah, that is a great question. And I feel like this did not happen overnight. I feel like this is something that has kind of almost like a slow drip that's just mm. kind of happened throughout the years. And now it's, there's a light being shine, you know, shown on this, um, this little debate. And so I really want to give credit to um, a couple podcast 
hosts that I listen to as well, in addition to yours, um, yeah. that have brought this topic up and it really opened my eyes to it a couple of years ago. And now I've just really started to ingrain myself in it. But I think... Real quick, Brooke, which podcast? Um, it is the CMO podcast by Jim Stengel. Oh, cool. Um, and he has he has really started to to talk about this a lot and even wrote a, a paper or a white paper for Harvard Business Review on the subject. Wow. But one of the things that I think has happened is, and rightfully so, you have as a marketer, you have the CFO and the CEO saying to you, okay, Brooke, what is, you know, our return on investment? We we gave you this much money to spend and we only saw this many leads. Why did we spend money here? Why aren't we spending it over here? And it's really easy on the performance marketing side to point to like hard numbers. I mean, yeah. you can, you know, you can say, okay, we drove this many inquiries. We had this much of a conversion rate. This therefore is our, you know, return on ad spend. Brand is a little bit harder. It's a little more, um, nebulous. And I think we've struggled as a discipline for years to figure out how do we prove that brand has an ROI as well. And I think that you can really um, tie the two together. And so I think it might be a product of just CEOs and CFOs saying, I need to see a return on, you know, I need this to know that it's hitting my bottom line and we're getting a return on the investment. And therefore they started focusing more and swinging the pendulum. And almost saying like, okay, why don't we split these two functions up? We understand they need to work together, but, you know, performance marketing is easier to track and therefore they're going to get a bigger piece of the pie. And how That's a hypothesis. Right. I don't well, know that how, for sure. How can they work together if they seem to be like, one's from Mars, one's from Venus, they speak different languages, one is impressions or not even, one is just brand and the other one is like right. very mathematical. Right. So I firmly believe, and, and I have told my clients this. I have helped um, franchisees and others understand that a strong brand is going to only help your performance marketing. So if we go to the market, let's say, and we're trying to, to generate leads or generate interest, generate sales, and nobody knows who we are, it is going to be that much harder to get that conversion. Because not only now is our performance marketing trying to say who we are, what we do, and why you should buy from us, and that's like, those are three like very distinct messages that you're going to try and cram into 30 seconds or a quick banner ad or a quick, you know, subject line in an email. And so I firmly believe that you have that foundation that you set with a brand, you are consistent with that, and you go to market with a consistent message over and over again, that's going to aid in the performance marketing. So, sure. you know, thinking about a full funnel approach, you don't just put all your eggs in the bottom of the funnel. You need to fill the funnel from top down and then also go from bottom up. And um, so I think they can work together that way. But then on the brand side, you know, loyalty that that um, we generate from building trust and relationships with our customers is going to aid in that performance marketing as well. And it will like help with the repeat customers and uh, retention. So I, I really do think that they they should and need to work together. On the flip side, performance marketing is going to generate those insights. Like you just mentioned, the hard numbers, the data, that's going to generate very quickly for us in some instances. You know, we can do some quick A-B testing and get the data and give it back to the brand team and say, hey, this is what we learned. This message is not resonating, but this one is. Let's lean into this one a little bit more. I mean, huge concept for me, the idea of having performance inform the brand 
mm-hmm. hoping that the brand team, maybe it's the same team, but hoping that they're yeah. listening and right. not, you know, head in a hole, not paying attention. Right. And it's, you don't ever, you just brought up a good point. Like we want them on the same team. They should be in the meeting saying, hey, you know, this is the, the brand team should say, this is what our brand message is. This is true to our promise and our, our values. Why are we going to market with something that's contradictory to that? And then vice versa, performance can say, hey, like, we're going to test these two things. This is what we, you know, people are confused by this. We got a lot of questions from customers about this. Like, this isn't as clear as it needs to be. Um, So I do think there's just, they should be talking to each other versus being in these silos, you know, not understanding what the other one is doing. And and I think brand gets a bad rap for being like brand cops and policing things Mm, and saying, oh, that's not on brand. But, um, and that is rightfully so their job. And I'm very passionate about branding in that way. But I do think that there's a place where both can coexist for a very strategic, comprehensive strategy. Makes you hope that the brand team is, you know, ideally 80% promotion and growth and 20%, you know, disciplinarian police officer kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you're right. It's gotten that bad rap of being the, the traffic cop saying, you know, you... That's the old logo, right? But what we really want is how can you help? How can how can you help inform me and, and help me understand where I should target my ads to target my performance? Mm-hmm. Wow. And I think you can have both um, in the in a in an activation, for example. So um, I'm just gonna um this is literally on the fly, but let's say Peloton. Um, wants to do some sort of activation where maybe they're going to do a pop-up out in um, Times Square. So that's a brand play because they're trying to, you know, get in front of people. They're trying to get their their name in front of a lot of people. And then at the end, like maybe you could pop in and do a quick class or whatever. And at the end, or at the beginning, excuse me, you sign in with a QR code. So now you've got that person's email address. So from a performance standpoint, now I have that data that I can start drip campaigns to them. But I've also on the brand side created this experience where I, I got that. to go experience a class and I got to, oh, okay, this is what everybody's talking about. I've heard about it, but like I haven't quite experienced it yet. And so I think that that's a great way to marry the two and a good example of how these two quote departments in the, you know, or disciplines in the same department could be working together. Makes total sense. The idea, and now you got me thinking Peloton, and I <laughs> like me. He's like, "Where are you, Casey? Come back to me. Can, yeah. <laughs> can you get some pedals in." Uh, yeah. So when when I think about getting these two groups to come together and work together, and I imagine having someone like you there who is more of an independent, I won't say outsider, but you don't have. You know, you, you don't have a loyalty to one side versus another. You appreciate both of them and can share that. How do you bring these people together? What are some of your strategies for helping these teams to get along to the point where maybe they aren't in the silos anymore? Maybe they are on the same team at some mm-hmm. point. Uh, I will be honest with you. I don't think that the disparity is within the team. I think it's outside of marketing. So I think my job um, and any, you know, CMO or high level marketing executive, their job is to help people outside of the marketing department understand that these two need to work together. So going to the CEO, going to the CFO or the COO and saying, hey, like, I don't want to 
you know, have this division within the teams. I don't want them, you know, fighting for budget. Like we should be talking about how the strategy holistically works together. Um, I'll give an example, working with a client right now, it's, you know, we're in October, so they are well into planning for 2020. Does their name rhyme with, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, I won't give it away, but it's a, um, it's a franchise, a franchisor that is planning for 2024. And we have to decide how much of the brand fund, which is what franchisees contribute to, is going to be allocated to brand awareness and lead generation. So in this case, I I still don't feel like it's a, you know, we're fighting for the dollars. We're working together to say we need to fill the funnel because I want my dollars to go further at the bottom of the funnel. And the only way that's going to happen is if people know who we are. Um, If a brand expands into a new market, say they're yeah, okay, let's just use Sonic, for example. Sonic um, headquarters in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Everybody in the Midwest knew who Sonic was. They decide that they're going to start expanding. Let's say they go to the East Coast. Yeah. Maybe some people haven't heard of Sonic. They can't just roll in there and expect right. that they're going to dominate, you know, from uh, a hamburger or a happy hour, their happy hour perspective. Like they've got to educate the market on who Sonic is first. They've got to introduce them so that when they do send out their freestanding inserts or when they do online advertising, people are like, oh yeah, I I saw a commercial for that. Like that looks good. Or I understand who that is. You can't just roll in and just only do PPC and expect that people are going to know, you know, who you are. It's a great example because they literally, I even, we even started out this convo by saying like Sonic has been advertising Mm -hmm. in New Hampshire, those bastards, you know, because I get to see all these yummy things. And there's no, it's probably because they're coming into your market. Well, I hope hope that's a, a for of like a a foreshadowing of things to come because that'd be yes. awesome. Yes, yeah. yeah, because they're priming the pump, which is what they should do. They shouldn't just roll in there and then just start right. you know, doing all this bottom of the funnel stuff and have people expect you know. Because even if you think about again at a franchisee level, they're contributing dollars in their local marketing. I want those dollars to go really far. Yeah. If these individuals are investing their life savings into their businesses. I don't want them to have a $300 cost per lead because nobody knows who they are. You know, let's like make sure and get that cost per lead down because people are going to your site directly. They're not clicking on (laughs) the PPC ad because now they're like, oh, I already know who you are because I've seen your, you know, XYZ. Yeah, the Google tax. You can avoid the Google tax. Yeah. Yeah. Uh They're finding out about you from the community or a community or they're referred to you. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. I once heard um, someone call it the wall of sound. Like you're just creating this like entire wall, like everywhere you go, like, oh, I saw them online. I heard a radio ad. I saw them on TV. They're now, you know, in app advertising, like create this wall of sound so that it's just, I don't even know what the stat is anymore. Do we have to hear or see something seven times before it sticks? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a large it's, number, right? Yeah. Have, yeah, inundated with it. Yeah, and that's a lot of of branding and consistency. And I think a lot of CEOs are, and I can, you know, absolutely relate to this, but are impatient. That's why I think, again, going back to your original question, how do you make them work together? It's getting buy-in from the top and saying, look, don't get me wrong. I understand that we have to generate leads. I understand that we need to get revenue. We need to close these leads. But also... Like there's a long play here that's going to pay off eventually. And branding is a longer 
strategy right. um, that you just have to keep investing in and be consistent with. And all of a sudden it's going to flip. We might have a 50-50 or excuse me, we might have like a 70-30 split on the budget right now where 70% is performance marketing. But my job is to get that flipped mm-hmm. so that we're spending less on the, you know, the tactics and our cost per lead goes down where people know who we are. They, you know, ask for us by name. They go to us, you know, directly online and or they're referring. Right. And you're not having to pay the different places so that you can show right. up because you own right. the connection yourself before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's so much to that. I, I was actually just having a conversation with uh, a good friend, client, um, brilliant leader, and we we're talking about a podcast. She's running a podcast and her organization is asking, okay, so what are the stats? And there's a mixture of brand stats and performance stats. There's some leads that are converting. There's some new customers out of it. That's very, you know, black and white. We met mm-hmm. them here. We, but there's this other thing of like, how do you quantify a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand impressions out in the in the in the world, mm-hmm. tied back to this content you've created? You know, it's mm-hmm. like otherworldly. But she's trying to wrap her head around presenting this in a way that that under, is understood by the board. Yeah. I think um, some of the best um, ways that I've seen people quantify brand sentiment or like their return on the branding investment is um, the net promoter score. Mm. So I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. A lot yeah. of people just refer to yeah, it. Yeah, tell people NPS. about it. Yep. Yeah. So NPS score, um, there's several, um, Listen360, um, I think Ask Nicely. There's a lot of software out there, but most of us, have encountered this at least one time or another where after a service or after an interaction with a company, we'll get a text message or an email that says, how was your experience today at blah, 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 blah. And it's one through 10. So um, you just click the number and that goes off into the ether. Well, that's a net promoter score. So the idea is anything eight, nine or 10 means you're, a, you're gonna be a promoter of that brand. And then I believe like five, six, seven, I forget what the middle is, but anything less than a five is a detractor. So that means you did something that they are like, that's detracting from your brand. They may not refer you to somebody ever again. And so you want a really high NPS score that, you know, tells you if people are enjoying the customer service, they like the product. So I think you can really start to get some brand sentiment from an NPS score. And even if you don't want to use one of those softwares, just regularly get feedback from your customers. You can send out one question survey emails. I talk about this quite a bit on LinkedIn. I get lots of surveys that are just one question and I love it. As a marketer, I'm like, okay, I know what you're doing, but I also want to participate because I want to help you. But you've made it very easy for me too, as well, to capture that sentiment. And um, I think there's a lot of misconception that market research has to be very expensive. That's another way to find out your brand's perception. Um, Look at your attrition numbers. Like, are you losing customers? Okay, that's an indication something is going wrong. So let's find out why. Like, what is the perception of the brand? You might uncover something that you never even knew was an issue. You are a fellow marketing wizard slash marketing addict because I too will see a properly or improperly written email or some kind of campaign. And I am actually more likely to complete it if I just respect the hell out of the, like, that's what a great technique that was. Well, yes, in fact, I got a LinkedIn message saying, pick a number between one and 10. 
And of course, now we put this out there, everyone will do it. Pick a number between one and 10. I have a, I have a particularly fun question we can both answer based on whichever number you pick. And I was like, all right, all right, I'll play. Like, <laughs> you got me. It's, that's novel. You're not saying the same template that everyone else says. So right. I, I'm like you. I do that. So, so tell me more about this one question, this one question survey. How can you yeah. possibly squeeze it all into one question? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it goes back to the, the business objective. So, you know, dissecting it a little bit, let's say um, we're just going to use a product development example. That's what's mm-hmm. top of mind for me. So maybe the product development team has an idea for for something and they're like, we we have a pretty good hunch that this is going to go over well, but we just need to validate just a little bit. So they email the current customer base one question that is going to validate their hypothesis. So the example I have is I'm a consumer of a brand called Everyday Dose. And I wrote about this on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago. It is a coffee. Um, <laughs> it's a mushroom coffee, which sounds very weird, yep. but it's very very good. It tastes like coffee. It's all these great health benefits. I got an email that just said, Brooke, take our one question survey. That was the subject line. I was like, sweet. I'm in. One question. You got me. And all it said was, do you use creamer in your coffee? Yes or no. And I thought, okay, they are clearly trying to roll out a creamer product. And all they want to know is, is our current customer base ripe for purchasing this product? And so I posted about it on LinkedIn and tagged them. And then their marketing um, CMO messaged me privately. He said, we are testing. He's like, would you want to, you know, do you want to try a sample of it? And I was like, absolutely. But I just said, I applaud your effort. Yeah, applaud your effort because that didn't cost you anything now because you're surveying your current customer base and you're asking one question to validate a hypothesis. Like, we think that creamer is probably going to be the next thing we're going to roll out, but let's just make sure that the our current customer base, who we don't have to educate who we are, we don't have to educate the quality because they already like it. We just need to say, hey, now we have this product. Like they're going to the lowest hanging fruit, which I think is is amazing. It's it's no different than asking, how did you hear about us? I love yeah. that question. I love that question. And why is it so hard for people to ask it? I don't get it. No, and, and I also particularly like it when it's in an open format, right? Mm-hmm. You're not forcing me to say, one of five archaic choices that none of none of which fits. So I'm going to pick one and it's going to get improperly tagged. You know, it's like you just okay. say where, where, let me just write something down and and then parse it out later, you know, but like okay. get the real answer. Right, right. So that, I, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's probably my top of mind example on the one question. But you could also, from a brand sentiment standpoint, send us same email, same subject line, Brooke, answer our one question. Um, how does drinking everyday dose make you feel? And they could give me five prompts and then I could have a write-in to your point. So like, they're just trying to see like, are they delivering on their brand promise? Do they want me to feel less? They want me to feel happy. Do they want me to feel like I started my, you know, joyful that I started my day with this wonderful cup of coffee? Like, I don't know. If they're listening, you might want to send that that survey. Shout out. And some free samples. Let's go. Yep. (laughs) I like a good mushroom now and then, and uh, never drank one, but I, I'm down for it. Don't knock uh, it till you tried it. Uh, yeah, see, the the creamer question was interesting. It, how how did you know that it was a product dev solicitation? Like, what was the connection for you? 
I honestly, I, I think it's just because I'm a nerd when it comes to marketing. Sure. I was like, yeah. they're like, they're testing something like that's you get surveys for a reason. People are trying right. to get a consumer insight about something. So to me, it was like, they are probably pretty far down this path. And again, they're just trying to validate it with the current customer base. We don't have to go through this whole, do you know what mushroom coffee is? Would you drink coffee made <laughs> out of mushrooms? Like they don't have to do all of that because they've already mm -hmm. done that clearly pre-launch. Now it's like, we're just trying to like diversify our revenue stream and put out more products. So um, I, it was just a hunch I had, like I said, probably because I'm a marketing nerd. Yeah, and it was just nerd, but also doing it too. And you, you've practiced that technique yourself. You've created those surveys. I just still think it's impressive to boil something down into one question. Uh, I frankly, yeah. that's like one of my takeaways from this episode too, is just, it doesn't have to be overcomplicated, right? It doesn't no. have just, but, but, but boiling it down takes a little bit of genius. But what is that yeah. one question that can help inform you to take the yeah. next step? And again, getting crystal clear on what are we trying to achieve? Like what's our business yeah, objective or what's the marketing objective? And then you can say, all right, what's the one question we need to ask to either validate a product launch or to even like name a product? Like maybe you're debating between two names or sure. just give them a statement to say, how does a statement make you feel? Um, there's a lot that you can do. And again, asking your current customer base is a great way because they're already loyal and to the point of having a strong brand, you don't have to educate them about who you are and why they like you. Yeah, you can skip all those questions, get right to the good stuff. So talk to me about these. Do you see this as a, as a, as a change that is happening or should be happening? Where do you see the future transitioning to? What kind of changes are you excited about? Um, as it pertains to brand and performance marketing or just in general? Yeah, both. Um, tell us the future. Okay, so tell you the future. I think it, content is going to continue to rule what we do. And someone else asked me one time what I thought was like a trend right now in marketing. And I said, I'm not going to call this a trend. But what I am going to say is if you're not leaning into content, you are like severely behind the eight ball. Yeah. And what I mean by that is user generated content or your your branded content. But consumers are so savvy now. We we can sniff it out a mile away if we're being sold something. And so it, at the end of the day, like be authentic and get somebody that is using your product to you know be an advocate for it. Like right now, let's go back to what we were just talking about. Like everyday dose, I'm not an influencer for them. They don't know me from Adam, but maybe five people listening to this are going to go get it. You know, that would be great for them. Like they just got like free advertising on a podcast. But it's because I'm passionate about it. I believe in it. I've been authentic about it. And that's what people want to buy from people. And that's great content. So we're producing content right now. That's why you created a podcast, right? right. Like you, you want people to hear your message or hear the message of others. And so content is going to continue to drive everything that we do from a marketing, a branding perspective. I have no, no doubts that that's going to continue. And we've seen it explode from a video content perspective. There's a lot of debates right now about AI taking over and taking away jobs. I don't believe that. I believe it's a tool that's going to assist us to continue to create more content. Like, great to give you prompts. You should still write it, yeah. but you can get your prompts from that. 
So if I were, you know, predicting the future, I'm going to say content is here to stay and it's only going to and should get more of your attention and more of your budget. Um, I was just on a call yesterday, actually, helping a a new brand um, launch and we were really diving into the brand promise and, and the position. And it just sort of morphed into this lovely discussion about how that can become or how we can articulate the brand. And it was all content ideas like, oh, we could interview this person or, oh, we could create a series about this. So it's really cool how that foundational piece of the brand development just lends itself very nicely to the types of content that you can create to bring it to life. Do you have a favorite content type right now? Um, Either to create or to consume? I, I'm consuming TikToks like crazy. Um, I just, I find them entertaining, informational. I also will caveat with, a, I take it with a grain of salt. I know that, you know, these are just everyday Joes mostly making content. Who knows where they got their information from? But it does give me a peek under the curtain of like vernacular that people are using and um, different I don't know, different trends. Like it just, I feel like as a marketer, I need to kind of stay up on top of that and see like what is resonating. And like, you can see how many views are on different TikToks. I'm like, okay, for whatever reason, people are responding to this. So I watch it and try and dissect. Is it because it's entertaining? Is this person super relatable? Or is it just like the topic that they're talking about? Right. Um, so TikToks and Reels, I consume like crazy. And then um, on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm reading all of the articles that appear in the news section on the right-hand side. And then I am a podcast junkie. I listen to podcasts all the time. I can't, I can't get enough pocket. It's something about it. Is, um, in, in particular, any particular kind of podcast you like listening to? The interview, the narrative, the... Mm-hmm. Kind of- I, I'm going to say a very unpopular opinion right now, but I do not like the crime, the true true crime podcast. Sure. And I don't know like where that ranks in the genres, but I love interview style. I love listening to an interview style. Um, I listen to a lot that are in my industry. Obviously, I listen to a lot of marketing ones, but then just for pure entertainment, I listen to Smartless, which is Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett. Um, that one has been just a kind of a breath of fresh air for me every Monday I start out with that one. But um, I find this, it's interesting because I'm a big proponent of storytelling. But for some reason, just like with audiobooks, I can't listen to a podcast that's like a story. I can't listen to an audiobook. It definitely lulls me to sleep. <laughs> um, I like the interviews because it keeps me engaged. I like right. the question answer back and forth. Back and forth, back and forth. And if it's a, if it's a good host and a Good guest. It mm-hmm. keeps things moving. You're excited. You're going, what's going on? Totally. Totally. Absolutely. So really, my next question is like, who are you? Like, how do you know all these things? Can you take me back in time? Little Brook days, did you know you're going to be a marketing leader working with all these amazing brands that you probably saw as like logos as a kid? Like, take me back in time. What was it like? Absolutely. I would be honored to share all of the the trials and tribulations of Brooke Elizabeth, yes. but um, I will say a short answer: No, I did not know that I was going to be a marketing um, executive. I started out uh, in college as a pre med major, so I come really? from a a family. All the women in my family were in medicine of some sort: um, nurses, doctors, uh, working in medical records. And so I thought, oh, this is just what we do. <laughs> and um, a D in chemistry told me this is not what you do, Brooke. 
So I thought, okay. And then I was going to... No, no, real quick, because I also may or may not have gotten a D in chemistry at one point in time. Did did yours come from a lack of interest or like... I have this trait, this toxic <laughs> trait that if something is difficult and I don't understand it right away, I give up. Nah. And so it was very difficult for me, despite the fact that I did well in high school chemistry, college chemistry was a whole nother story. Mm. So I get there and I was like, oh, I don't know what the hell this is. And I am in over my head. And then I just kind of was like, meh. Like, <laughs> we're, we're just, you know, I was also a freshman. So let's say other things got in the way and totally. I don't know. But, um, and then I thought, okay, I'm going to be a teacher. I, this is going to be the greatest. I'm going to inspire young uh, girls and boys to do whatever they want, pursue their dreams. So I'm going to yeah. be a teacher. So I was in the educate elementary education for a year. Okay. And the second semester of that, I had to go into the classroom and Every day I came home and I was like, oh my God. And I would like pull my hair out. I'm like, this is a nightmare. I do not want to do this. What grades do you remember? Oh, I was a third grade. I did a practicum in a third grade Ooh. classroom. So I was like, okay, this is a, this is a red flag. Like I do not want to do this. So <laughs> I walked into an advisor's office and her name is Nancy Mitchell. Shout out to Nancy Mitchell from the University of Nebraska College of Journalism. Hell yeah, walked Nancy. Into her, I walked into her office and I said, I don't know what I want to do. I, I really don't know what I want to do. And so she started asking very, um, she was curious. She's just like, what do you like to do? Um, what, you know, makes you feel alive? And I said, well, I think I'm creative. I like to be creative. I like to write. And she's like, do you want to be a journalist? I said, I don't think so. And she's like, well, and so she was kind of, I think in her head, probably she was going through the majors within the J school. And she was <laughs> sure. like, what about advertising? Now, and I kind of sat up in my chair and I was like, well, tell me more about that. And so we just started talking and I said, well, that sounds exciting. Like, I, I think I would like to do that. So that's really how I got into it. So then junior year, I started my major as um, an advertising major in the College of Journalism, graduated with a Bachelor of Journalism, majored in advertising, and then I immediately went to grad school and got my um, Master's of Arts in Marketing, Communications, and Advertising. Wow. So with all of that, plus... I would say in my 25 years of experience, I have pretty even split between ad agencies and working in-house. I've just been exposed to so many different clients and industries and, you know, launching apps and advertising on Facebook for the first time and um, developing websites and coming up with a go-to-market strategy. Like you just get exposed to so many things. Launching a franchise, like it's crazy. Um, so... Like I said, I, or even like third grade, Brooke, I think wanted to be a meteorologist. So like, okay. it's very, you know, I definitely. You want to tell us about the weather right now behind you? Yeah. Yeah. Behind. Yeah. It's very, it's very hot in Texas right now. I'll just say that. Um, but yeah, th that's kind of how this all came to be. Man, shout out to Nancy because uh, you could have easily been, and but also to you for, for recognizing the red flags. Cause I think sometimes we, we finish those elementary education degrees and, you know, and God forbid it's like a law degree and you find out you hate being a lawyer after, or, or if you had gone to med school, right? Only to realize you really don't like it. Um, mm -hmm. Man, I would be stuck. So you, you saw the signs and, and Nancy opened your eyes. Yes. 
She did. And I, I give her a lot of credit for that. And I did have to go to summer school. I took a full like 15 hours, um, two summers in a row to get caught up. Sure. So I only graduated like a half a year later than quote you should. Um, mm. But I, you know, changing those majors didn't set me back too much because a lot of the prerequisites are the same. Yeah. Yeah, so. totally. Man. And then off to marketing land. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Real quick question came up to me earlier. Uh, you mentioned all different kinds of industries and all different. Do you have a, a favorite and a least favorite industry? Mm -hmm. A favorite industry, I am very passionate about health and wellness. And so while I have yet to work for a client that is in the health and wellness industry, which I will say that's different than the medical, in, like healthcare industry. Yeah. Like I'm not interested in healthcare. I'm interested in health and wellness. So living a healthy lifestyle, um, hence my mushroom coffee obsession. Right. Um, that's something I'm very passionate about. And I'm actively trying to manifest and attract a brand that I either consume or I feel very, you know, passionate about their mission to work for. Um, in my also experience, I found um, QSR with Sonic to be really fun. Um, it was just a fun brand to work sure. on. I've also worked on Disney. That was really, really fun. Um, um, the industry or the vertical that it's not my forte is probably the financial industry. It's highly regulated and which is, you know, it should be, but it's just hard for me. Um, I move very quickly yeah. and because of all the regulations and things like that, it's just things move very slowly. And so I would want to launch a campaign and it would, you know, from the idea to going to market, I would want that to be done in about a month and it would, take six months because it had to go through compliance and legal and all of this stuff. And that's just not the pace I work at. So it's no fault to their own. It's that's just how it needs to be. And um, so that's probably not my my forte. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> Someone else can have that one. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. You got to You got to go where the, the passion is and and really focus on that. So mm -hmm. my next question for you is a bit of, of a hypothetical question. So, OK. All right. I'm ready. Prepare. Okay. So you see, I may or may not have a time machine up here in New Hampshire. Okay. So the next time you have a business client meeting or an event up here in Boston, come visit. We get some lobster, get some beer, go play with a time machine, right? But now it's a particular kind of time machine where you get to go visit yourself. And the, the version of you you get to meet is four days after graduating from college from university you just got that marketing advertising journalism all wrapped up together you just finally graduated you get to go talk to that brook what kind of things do you tell yourself do you give yourself advice recommendations what do you say first i need to clarify is your time machine a delorean good question um would you like it to be <laughs> yes i want it to be a delorean <laughs> yes why yes it is a delorean back to the future is one of my all-time favorite movies Okay, I digress. Okay, is it one, two, or three? What's the what's the best of two. all time? You two. are a two person. Okay, sure. yeah. I am a, I am a three person, and I find oh. that three people typically don't like two, and two people don't like three. So, but yeah. apparently we get along. So go. Yes, figure. all right. So the advice that I would give to Brooke that graduated in August, um, those I think it was August of two thousand one. It was. Uh, I would say to her, you need to go do random stuff. And what I mean by that is go try things 
that you have never done before that maybe scare you a little bit, but also you're intrigued by? Because what you're going to learn and the parallels that you will draw from those experiences is going to be immeasurable and nothing like what you learned or experienced in college. This is something that I have done for the last four months actively. I put all of my worldly possessions in a pod and this um, at the end of April of this year. And I went out to California with my dog and some clothes. And I started renting Airbnbs just by the month. And I went up the coast of California. Wow. And my intention for this journey was to live life joyfully. So by doing that, I wanted to try new things and do random stuff. So I tried drum boxing. I um, went to a winery on my own for the very first time. I had my very first cup of Turkish coffee. I tried aerial yoga. Um, and then when I came back to Texas this month, I last uh, two nights ago, I went to an Argentine cooking class. All of these things have allowed me to be more creative, which in my, you know, in the discipline of marketing is very helpful. Um, and I've drawn some amazing parallels between marketing and the things that I did. So Tuesday night, the chef at the cooking class said, cooking is a roadmap. Baking is a blueprint. And instantly I just thought, oh my gosh, marketing is a roadmap and branding is the blueprint. So the roadmap is, you know, from a cooking perspective, if you're cooking, I don't know, spaghetti, you can get there a million different ways. You can roast the tomatoes. You can use cherry tomatoes. You can use heirloom tomatoes. That's kind of your roadmap and whatever technique you get there, you're going to get there. Yeah, stop along Same the way, pick up some extras, knock yourself out. Totally. Marketing, it's like, okay, we need to get this many leads. Okay, I'm going to try PPC. I'm going to try influencer marketing. I'm going to do all these things. I have a roadmap that I'm going to play in, but I'm going to get to the end destination. Baking is a blueprint. You screw up and you miss one teaspoon of something and your cookies are either going to be flat or the cake's not going to rise. Yeah. Same with branding. Like if you deviate from that foundation, if you deviate from the consistent message and what you stand for and you're all over the place and you, oh, we'll, we'll say this one week and the next week, let's say, okay, people are going to be confused and they're not going to know what, the, you know, who the hell you are and what you stand for. Yeah. So I would not have drawn that parallel had I not gone out and done random stuff. Man, I, you know, Sesame Street calls it the glop shop, right? Mm. Elmo and Bird and other friends were hey, we're baking a cake, but let's just put anything in there, right? And, th and that and the brand they got is not edible, you know? <laughs> like the output of that, that glop cake was full of color, but not something that you would want to eat. And I, it's, what a great, what a great metaphor. And did you have that thought as soon as the chef said that? And then you're just like whirling around in there? Absolutely. I wish I oh. had it with me, but um, she gave us like a you know, uh, the recipes and then we were can write down notes. And after she said that, I just started writing the LinkedIn post in my head. I was like, oh, doo -doo -doo -doo. and I'm sure she probably thought I was writing down like how you properly sear pork tenderloin. But no, sorry, I was writing my own little analogy about marketing. <laughs> I wonder if that ever happened in chemistry for you, because it probably did for me. I was probably yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was like, eh, this is for the birds. I'm out. I am out. Let me think of something else I can do with this time. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, 
Well, where can people connect with you? They want to connect with you. They want to get more information, maybe get your services to help them. Yeah, I am very active on LinkedIn. Okay. So I am, I post every single day, uh, different insights. Um, I talk a lot about brand and performance marketing and that dichotomy. Hell so yeah. you'll see a lot of that. So you can search for me on LinkedIn, just Brooke Janicek. And then there's this little like grow, like sprout emoji after my name. So that's how you know you have the right one. Um, and then you can message me there. Um, my my uh, fractional CMO company is called The Grow CMO. And you can also go to that website, thegrowcmo.co. Love it. And yeah, you do have a little thing right after the name. I, okay. I thought that was my monitor. I thought, oh. <laughs> I, was no. like, oh, I have a little. Yeah, it's part of the brand. So the Grow CMO, um, because I love to help businesses grow. I also like to help individuals grow. Um, That's great. Through personal or professional development. And then at the end of every LinkedIn post, I say, let's grow. And I use that little emoji. So then I thought, oh, I'll just put that after my name. And I'm just starting to be, be very consistent with that branding as well. On brand. That's totally on, on brand. brand. I love that. Yeah. I've got yeah, a microphone after me. Uh, there you go. See? Yeah. And I love your sprout. Totally. Yeah. Life's too short not to have an emoji in your LinkedIn yeah. name. I mean. Agreed. Come on. Uh, Brooke, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on here sharing your knowledge, your experiences, your fun stories, commiserating with me about chemistry, but also about how awesome it can be to, to cook uh, marketing. Yes, I have had a blast. Thank you for having me. And for those listening, if you've learned something, and I know you have, because I literally have two pages of notes over here, front and back. I've run out of, I'm in the margins, right? So I've learned something. And if you have, share this with one person, three people, Throw it on LinkedIn, but don't just put the content, like share what you got from it, your takeaways. Tag us, tag myself, tag Brooke. We'll hop in there, we'll have a little conversation. But that's thought leadership. That's how you grow. And that's how we all make this thing happen. So again, Brooke, thank you so much for being on here. Thank you. All right, everyone. This has been a crazy cool episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.